Welcome to Small Batch, where we explore the truths and myths of being an entrepreneur in the insanely competitive food and beverage industry. I am Lauren Rhodes, the kombucha lady. I'm Paul Bonds, the country fire coffee roaster. And I'm Matthew McLaughlin, craft beer lawyer and the U8 girls soccer coach extraordinaire. Ooh. That is so cute. You got a flag in your pocket right now? No. You should look at the <laughs> smile on Matthew's face right now. This is like his proudest accomplishment. Yeah, it is. I, I've coached both my girls in soccer. It's a lot of fun. I have a blast. Do you have like the tiger uniform? Like, uh, no, it's it's JFC issued blue and green. Uh, Do they have a team name? They're called the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> so Mississippi. So Mississippi. Yes, it's a fun group. A lot of these girls have been together for like two or three years now, and um, we're we're having a lot of fun with it. Women's soccer is where it's at. It is awesome, especially in Mississippi. I was so surprised at how popular soccer is it's here. Huge. Yeah. I mean, our oldest daughter is now playing sort of more competitive, sort of D one type soccer. So we're traveling to tournaments and stuff, and it's 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 a lot of fun. All of the parents of the kids on her team are good people and fun to hang out with, and it's fun watching these girls get after it. So has the team thought about raising capital yet? No, it is uh, it is largely subsidized by the roots of all of parents. Well, unfortunately... It would be nice to have a sponsor. Y'all ain't selling no popcorn? No. Somebody got to be selling $20 bags of popcorn. No. Oh, y'all ain't doing the right thing. Well, you know what? I think parental investment could be a source of capital, but we're going to be talking about money today. You got to get that money. That was kind of a sloppy segue. Show it to me. (laughs) You got to get that money. Girl soccer to show me the money. So we're talking about capital. Mm Yeah. What is is capital? Uh, In the words of Beast Boy. That pyramid mommy money. That's oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> liquidity, cash. Liquidity, cash flow, like, you know, having the right amount of money at the right time. And different kinds of money. Mm-hmm. So how do you get it? I've got a whole truckload of it. Y'all go out there help yourself. I need some. All right. You need some, Lauren? Are we going to be transparent? I'll be transparent about how I got money for my business. Yeah. Okay. And it does have a similar route to the, like, girls' soccer team. Uh-oh. My parents gave me a $10,000 loan. What? And that was that helped me get on my way and credit card debt yeah which uh-huh. is not smart but mm-hmm. you know what at the time it was necessary well for a lot of people that are starting out that's the only that's the only means they have I yeah mean, it's, it, it i wouldn't say it's not smart it, it's necessary it needs to be managed but i mean i have i have a credit card for my law firm and i use i use it a ton yeah you know, I, sometimes you just have to have credit you got to pull down on quickly yeah you got to have that cash man um it's a it's a big deal uh a matter of fact i uh i saw like a study it was like basically after customers not wanting your product the number two reason that most companies shut down is due to undercapitalization, believe it or not yeah so it's like i don't want your stuff or i don't have money and that's the top two reasons I know we've discussed here before about like burnout and loss of passion and stuff like that. But matter of fact, having money um, mm-hmm. is a big reason. And enough money. Like you mm-hmm. can be operating at a very minimal rate, but like if that's not enough to live on, you know. Yeah. You got to have the money at the right time too. That's the other part about it. So when you hear, a lot of times you hear like these companies and stuff like Uber, you know, some of like these newest winners like Uber's, Lyft's, some of these other like tech companies or somebody dropped like an app. It ain't because they like they had five dollars in a dream and they got this thing off the ground and people just went crazy over it. Most of the time, when these companies get going and stuff, especially in that sector, there's some, you know, they sometimes they call it like venture capital. Somebody like had millions of dollars and said, hey, you got a great idea. I want to invest in it to get it off the ground. And sometimes just having like that, sometimes referred to as seed money, can be a reason you make it or not make it, you know? I mean, and there's 
pros and cons to that too. Mm-hmm. Like the nice thing about that is you can get a lot of money at once, mm-hmm. but then you're it also beholden. Strings. It does. Because I remember thinking about that and just listening to like business podcasts and how I built this was like mm-hmm. my my go to. And if an investor gives you so much money, you might not own your business anymore. Right. I want to respect that. He just tightened that top, man. He just tightened the so, top. <laughs> we, do a, we do this a lot. We spend probably the majority of our time advising clients on finance issues, whether it's raising equity capital, raising debt, raising some sort of blend of bridge financing to get from point A to point B. Um, Oh my God, so much jargon. If you sound, I mean, if you surround yourself with the people that understand the process, know what is market, meaning knowing what is reasonable and understanding relative bargaining positions, you're going to come out of it still owning a majority of your company. Now you're going to have to cede some control, whether that's board representation or some oversight, but it doesn't matter if it's equity or debt. If you're taking a resource from somebody that you don't have, there's going to be boxes that you Mm -hmm. have to check and there's going to be strings attached to it. So it is a complicated process. It is a grind. The Ubers and the Lyfts of the world are extreme outliers uh, for everybody else. It is it is a challenge to figure out what that appropriate blend of equity and debt is and then where do you go get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, you know, kind of the, the American dream. I had nothing and I had a dream and I had $10. And I turned that into 15. Which in most cases is a just flat out lie. And, you know, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and I went out there and made it happen. And it's like, that can happen. But by the time you tighten those bootstraps up, you got to retire them (laughs) boots. Because you about to enter into a retirement home, um, and and so tighten that Velcro. Yeah, so to excel, you can you know you can get it and you can start something, sort of hustle and build and build and build and build and build. But then there's also you know your enjoyment of your life and okay, am I willing to give up some equity or you know give up some equity slash ownership in turn to make this wheel turn a little bit faster for me? And so that's what it comes in with, you know, getting capital from like outside investors and stuff. But yeah, definitely being capitalized off the bat can make a huge difference in terms of your probability of being successful. Yeah. Whether that's equity in terms of of cash or Matthew was alluding to just knowledge of like, hey, you want to enter this? If you if you enter into this market, you want to do it this way. And sort of like my mom always said, there's like learn sense versus bought sense. Learn sense is what you go pick up in the book and you, you know, it tells you what to do. Bought senses, you go spend money on it, and you mm-hmm. learn the hard way after you've lost it. Paul, that is a th- th- that is a great point, and this is this is something that that I preach. All money is green, but it is not all the same. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many times I have said that to clients, and sort of the next thing I say is, you got smart money and you got dumb money. Can you just give an example of like, have you ever advised a client not to take yes. money, on and m- why? On multiple occasions. Can, like, what's the two scenarios where it happens most often is the investor has absolutely no experience in the domain or the industry that that company is in. That is a bad fit. Why? It's a bad fit because you have expectations that are probably not aligned. Like they just think it might, growth is going to take off, but they don't know that maybe it's a slower. The company or the entrepreneur is getting zero value other than a check. 
And mm. going back to my dumb money versus smart money distinction, that's dumb money. Take and value you mean is like experience to right. help you build your right. business. If I can take an investment from somebody that also, you know, if I'm a food and beverage company and I can take an investment from a VC or an angel group that has a network of people who are food brokers and can get me into Walmart, Target and Whole Foods versus my drunk uncle who is extremely wealthy and is just laying on piles of cash. Getting the money from the drunk uncle is not going to be complicated initially, Mm -hmm. presumably. Getting the money from the more organized angel network or VCs will be more formal and will be a little bit more complicated, but that's going to be an easier relationship to manage long-term, and the entrepreneur is going to get far more value from that investment than just the money. It's like getting a mentor, basically. It's, you're buying a you're buying a mentor and you are buying an addition to your board of directors. Yeah, and you know, unlike the 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 person, the the group that's, you know, mentoring you, they're not necessarily motivated by the same thing like that drunk uncle who's just motivated by getting a return. Right. You know, he's gonna definitely lend his bad advice on what you should do to get that return back, you know, because all these trying to say, like I say, he's just trying to get his money back plus more as fast as he can. He's not necessarily, I don't really care about your product. I don't even eat or drink it. I just want my money. And that's definitely not a relationship you want to be in. You're almost like dealing with like a loan shark in a way. They don't well, really also care. family and money can get. Well, let's just use that example, but just anybody even outside of that, you know, mm-hmm. like a person who doesn't understand your business and they just got a ton of money and they just say, hey, give me X and give me back Y and I need it back in this timely manner. If they have no experience, then you come back and say, well, I haven't necessarily, I'm not necessarily going to be able to meet what I originally said I could do, but I've got A, B, and C in the work works. They might not necessarily understand it versus someone who's been in that industry and they can say, okay, yeah. And they probably can say, yeah, I've been in similar setbacks and stuff. Everything is going to be okay. Yeah. Drawing on their experience, they can probably say, I was faced with a very similar situation. This is the path that you need to choose, Mm -hmm. or I don't know the answer to this, but I have somebody in my extremely robust network that dealt with a very similar situation. So let me me pick up the phone and call. Yeah. Um, No, but to your question, Lauren, yes, I have advised and counseled clients on numerous occasions not to take investment money from people because it's just not a good fit. Did they have a good feeling about it from the get-go? Because I feel like most of the times when you're someone's offering you money, you kind of have an intuitive sense of like... Yeah, I would say in certain situations, yeah, the, the client was sort of already sensed that it may not necessarily be a good fit. But in other situations, you know, they were so... Desperate. Desperate and giddy. Mm. They, you know, it's like, oh, wow, the, you know, the, the cute girl is, or the cute boy is giving me the time of day. And the cute 75-year-old venture capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys are hot. They are hot. They're really hot. They all look the same, too. I mean, they had a little velvet slippers on, I'm telling you. Well, I'm and then there's them. there's the other issue, which is that, you know, investors tend to invest in a certain group of people that yep. tends to look like them, Absolutely. which is why we need more women investors, Agreed. investors of color. Like, it's a whole... No, there's, there's extreme investment bias. Mm-hmm. Extreme investment bias. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you've seen people do with capital? Or, Paul, if you want to jump into, like, what have you been able to do that capital, either through, like, loans or investment, has been able to get 
you? Just sort of some basic things, right? You can take the capital, invest in equipment, and that equipment can make your business that much more efficient and, and much more productive. With that efficiency and those production upgrades, it allows you to expand your market versus operating on something that's a lot smaller. Um, using that capital, that capital all can be used for like marketing, and 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 whether that's through you know updating the website and versus uh, updating like what I did, packaging and all that stuff to attract that many more customers. The other thing too is just being able to have a hedge during tough times because it happens. I've told people like it's been times where like I'm selling so much coffee I can't keep up and there have been times in my business where I swear if I took a bag of coffee threw it and hit somebody in the back of the head they'll turn around look at it and keep walking even <laughs> I have even if I had a sticker on that said free free to good home and so you know just having that too to be able to survive when that when those you know stormy times come because that's going to happen or something else is going to happen whether that's I go back to equipment where there's an equipment failure and you need that money to invest in it. And so, you know, small business owners deal with that all the time. It's like, do I invest in this um, to enhance my business or do I just simply pay rent and pay employees and pay taxes and stuff like that? So having that capital there set aside for that Mm -hmm. takes a ton of worry off of it, you know? Yeah, and hiring people is expensive. It really is. Yeah. I mean, you can take whatever you're going to pay them and multiply it basically by two. By the time you add, you know, an allocable share of, you know, whatever overhead you have and benefits that you may offer and withholding obligations, it's extremely expensive. Um, I mean, I've experienced that firsthand. Recently, I hired two people within about a five or six month period of time. And, uh, you know, I went into it. I I tried to be, I, I tried to approach it in a very reasonable way. You know, I sort of said, all right, look, this is the this is the sort of pile of cash that I need, but I underestimated that. I mean, hmm. it, it's not been a bad situation. We've actually brought in more work, but it's hiring people is expensive. Yeah. Very expensive. And it's even more expensive when you're dealing with turnover. So that's yeah. the other part, too. Like with, with hiring persons, it's not just, man, I picked you and you worked out well. 75% of people you hire, ain't, you, you come to learn it ain't worth your time. And there's a cost every time. With oh, that. yeah. Every time there's like turnover and stuff like that with um with with people and and help um just to sort of use that example but yeah that's a that's another example of where having that capital set up there available that if you get somebody going and then they decide to jump ship and you got to start all the way over well there's a cost to recruiting mm-hmm. people there's a cost to training and training and investing time in that person's because that time that you could be you know, going out and working with your customers, try to establish more business. You're there trying to train them up mm-hmm. on to get them up par and going. There, that's a cost to it. And so, um, having that capital in place can free up a lot of a lot of worry. I also found that even when I was when I was operating in business and it felt like I was making so many orders and you know delivering so much product, but there were so many invoices out that had not been paid in yet. Mm-hmm. And so accounts there's like receivable. accounts receivable. Um, and I think that's a huge place where investment and capital can help because if it's like you know you're just waiting on someone to pay their bill so right. that you can buy more cabbage to make more sauerkraut like that's not an ideal situation right right and you put in the legwork you put in the time you've made the sale you've delivered the product and it's like i i've got money but i don't have the money mm-hmm. um, my quickbooks says i made five hundred dollars right but, uh, but my bank account says yeah. otherwise <laughs> i got five dollars and so i mean that's also another issue of like people paying on time but yeah that's a whole nother episode but like you yeah, have to factor you right. have to factor that in 
it. Absolutely. You really do. You really do. No, and so it's – I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it, it's difficult. It, it is – you've got balls in the air. It's difficult to juggle, but you, you have to have cash constantly coming through, whether it's through sales, whether it's access to a line of credit, you know, whether you are financing, you know, a massive equipment upgrade, then, you know, that's obviously not going to be through probably a line of credit that's going to mm-hmm. be bringing in – you know, a more permanent lender or maybe maybe an investor. Mm-hmm. Um, you just you got to have cash coming in all the time. How do you even find an investor? In the in the yellow pages. <laughs> <laughs> LOL. I just I just Google them. I'm like, who wants to invest? Just Google. No. That is the worst advice I'm ever. Just kidding. oh no, you just bugged your tab and gave us all that sound advice, and you go give us that. <laughs> Uh, well, in, in a state like Mississippi, it's challenging. I mean, you know, we we do not have a very uh, robust network of people that are willing to put capital at risk, meaning you know zero, you know zero chance of repayment. It's getting better. You know, we there are a number of angel networks that have formed over the last you know kind of twelve to eighteen months. I don't actually really know this. What's the difference between an angel investor and just a regular old investor? Well, angel investors will get you to heaven. Regular old investors send you to hell. That's right. You guys are so helpful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Angel investors are generally fairly seasoned entrepreneurs that have had some degree of success uh, with a startup or the sale of a company. And they're just, they're investment junkies. They like early stage startups. Mm. They like mentoring people. So finding that person that's got a good, you know, kind of industry experience that will fit with what you're doing is important. A regular investor, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of people, I guess, that are ready to cut checks, but there may not be any value there other than just the ability to cut checks. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems like it's getting harder and harder to go to, you know, the older method was you get something going and then you go to the, you know, you just go to your bank and say, hey, I've got this swell thing and it's working out well. And hey, I, I'm I, to get from A to B, I need X number of dollars to do that. And I'm finding that harder and harder hmm. to, to even like a couple of times where I went to banks and showed them my books and stuff like that. And they go, well, I need collateral. Well, it's like if I had money, I want to come in here and ask you for money. <clears throat> Right. Bank's favorite collateral is cash. Exactly. What? Oh, right. So, like, what's their second favorite? Equipment? Property? I mean, you got to have some land or something. But the the inherent hypocrisy in that is... I mean, you need cash. cash. I wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah. I I mean, if I, you know, it's like going, you know, old school, going to Blockbuster to get an ID. And they said, let me see your ID so you can get an ID. And it's like, if I had an ID, I wouldn't need an ID. (laughs) So, So. (laughs) I think a lot of of what is... I agree with you. It used to be where there were strong banking relationships handshakes I'm gonna do what I'm what I what I say I'm gonna do we do have a little bit of collateral you're gonna have to take a little bit of risk on this loan that's fine I feel good about it we've known each other for years post 2008 and all of these you know ridiculous banking regulations that were imposed has made that a little bit more challenging and so now I mean, when you not go, all of them are ridiculous but okay. no I mean right well, and a few brought it on for a lot of people too so understood yeah mm-hmm. but now it's you go in and like you said here are my books profit and loss I've got historic data this all looks good okay well can I put a second lien on your house uh, can I get your kid to guarantee the debt or <sighs> I'm kind of joking but you know they want they want guarantees from you. That's always going to be the case. They may want a guarantee from a third party that has a personal balance sheet that is stronger than yours. So, you know, 
banks got burned when the mortgage market collapsed in 08. And so they're they're looking for secondary and tertiary and even fourth levels of repayment on commercial loans. Hmm. Yeah, they do loans. Especially for early stage small businesses. Yeah, and they do loans. They basically want a sure shot yeah. like that, that they're going to get. Zero risk. Mm-hmm. Or 99.9 pretty much. And what I heard is, too, is if you're looking for an investor, you have to show them that you've already got skin in the game, which is like your own personal savings. You've used that or like you took out a loan from a bank that you are responsible for. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the first. Qu- An investor that knows what they're doing is going to ask how much money you've got in it. Mm-hmm. And and I tell clients all the time, don't go ask for somebody else's money if you haven't put any in. I mean, Period. that's just kind of rude. It is. And it's the quickest way to get told no mm-hmm. by both investors and lenders. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's way to get always told easy no. to spend somebody else's money, right? Right. Yeah. Than your own, so well, and it's 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 easier to access certain financial resources now. I mean, you said credit cards earlier, Lauren. I mean, you can go get a credit card tomorrow with a twenty five hundred, five thousand, maybe even a ten thousand dollar credit limit just with a signature. Mm-hmm. And, and the scary thing about credit cards, like, I just feel like there's people don't know, and I know that sounds so cliche, like credit card debt, but I heard. On one of the episodes of How I Built This, the founder of Airbnb was like, yeah, we just like maxed out all our credit cards and then look, we are Airbnb now and it all worked out. And I'm like, better read the fine print. You got so lucky because do you know how many people do max out all those credit cards and then they don't make it and then they're just stuck with a pile of debt? At 18 to 25% or whatever it is. Right. I I mean, I'm still paying off some of my credit card debt for my business. I'm doing it responsibly, so Mm -hmm. it's happening at, Mm -hmm. you know, a staggered pace. But, like, that's not something you should do lightly. Well, and then in the wake, too, like you're saying, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure if you get them um, or gotten them. I get them all the time. I swear, every week. I'm getting a, a, a letter from like Cabbage or these other. Yes. And it's like, oh, my oh God. you can get it so easy. And you look at it and you read the fine print on it. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's not good. They're like, we're easier to lend from a, or we're better lenders than a bank. Like, yeah. we'll give you money. Well, and that's a natural response to the regulation that these banks are faced with having to comply with. So now the market said, okay, well, if small business owners can't go get loans from traditional commercial banks, let's come up with this sort of peer-to-peer lending concept where if people want to fund a commercial loan to earn some rate of return, we'll just pull a bunch of people's money together and offer that to small business owners that need it. Um, That's high interest rate, and um, you know it's probably an option of last resort, but it's an option out there that a lot of people use. Yeah, yeah. It's scary because it's like I never saw them, and then all of a sudden I started getting them. And it's like, you know, you need a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars. We need it, and, and then you approved also, in as little as forty five seconds. Forty five seconds. <laughs> well, and, and it's then, like that small business dream. Like you need access to capital, and you don't. At first, you don't really know how much you need. Mm-hmm. You know, like sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like you say, you, you know, you never know how how desperate or so those owners are either, and they're willing to like to jump in to do that. Uh, like me personally with my business. I did it from, you know, using like some of my own capital, but then past that was trying to, luckily, I mean, when I first got bean fruit going, I was working a full-time job while doing it. And so I was able to feed it bit mm-hmm. by bit into the business. And then once the business got to a point where I felt like it could sustain itself and be able to partially sustain um, uh, per- my personal needs, then I like jumped into it and said, okay, let's take a risk and see what happens. 
So I didn't jump into it with like a ton of debt. I had like a minimal amount. Yeah. And even now today, I still keep a tough minimal amount. Um, you know, uh, you know, like a, a credit card, and that's basically it. Uh, all of that is just basically just through my vendors and stuff, and that's paid off each month. Yeah. Uh, I pay my vendors on time. Good for you. I always did because I <laughs> I knew what it felt like to not I, be paid. I yeah, too. Me too. And but I know farmers that have gotten screwed. Yeah. But like twenty thousand dollars unpaid. Yeah. It, ha- it happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, I have a couple of outstanding invoices that are one hundred and eighty days past due. What do you do? You go. I call them. Oh, you do. They don't respond. You send certified letters. They don't respond. Last thing you want to do is turn somebody over to collection, but I mean, can't, I mean, you have to at some point. At some point, you have to. Are there any last takeaways for people that are considering getting capital? Um, or my, getting more. my advice is it is a grind and it takes time so you need to plan for it accordingly it just it, it is a long process and do the research on the investor Correct. make sure it's the right kind of money like you were saying smart bet, money not bet, dumb bet. money yeah uh, I'm gonna quote Usher Raymond he said situations will arrive but you gotta be smart about it so that's so wise <laughs> um, alright well thanks everyone for listening to our show To keep up with us between each episode, you can follow us on social media. I'm at Lauren Rhodes. Uh, You can find us, find me on uh, the Twitter and Instagram and the Facebook box uh, at Bean Fruit Coffee. And I'm at Jackson McLaughlin or at McLaughlin Jackson, depending on your social media. And we'll see you soon on the next episode of Small Batch.